Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, welcome to the Hevria podcast. This is our fourth episode, and I'm very excited to have Risha Groner. Did I say that correctly? You did indeed. All right, I'm so pumped to have you on board. Uh, Risha does a million things, and I'm... (laughs) She just made a face, but uh, she's going to prove it in a second, because I'm going to ask you, what are the things that you do? Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, Well... Hi, Elad. It's great to be here. Um, one of the things I did once was I wrote for Hevria. It's true. You created a, quite a stir. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually been using that post lately to send to people for different reasons. So Ooh, Tell us about the post. Uh, oh, man. Let's go right into it. Should we? Should we or um, should you want to t- list your stuff first? I can talk about the post. What yeah, I'm, let's get into it. Um, so I wrote for Hevria. I didn't know it was Hevria. I thought it was Hevria. Everyone has their uh, theories. It's like my name. I get it. <laughs> I have like my definition, but I feel like at this point, everyone just decides what they want. You know, right. it's like art. You know, people own it after you let it go. You have to. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> All right. Well, people at home, if this is like Vria Hev or the Latin version, whatever you want it to be, Hevria, um, whatever you want. Hevria. Um, no, Hevria. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so. A year and a half ago, almost about a year ago, I wrote for you guys, and that was a piece that took a year in the works. Oh, I, really? Yeah. Wow. So I don't know if I ever like told you the whole story. So why don't you tell us what the piece was about first? Okay, we'll... so th- this piece was based on a true event that happened to me um, two years ago. So it was December 2015. And um, it was one of those like events that is so pivotal when it happens, and then you don't know what you're going to do with it. Mm. Um, and then I think it was that I was preparing to tell it on the moth and I was oh, telling right. it over, which yeah. I didn't end up getting picked, but, um, I was telling it over and then I was like, Oh, I should write this up. So the story, um, happened in Crown Heights, which is interestingly <laughs> enough, a place that I now live. And I know you live there too. Um, and I was, ju- I hadn't even moved there yet. I was like looking for apartments and I just found an apartment. I was really excited. Mm. And I went to a Shabbat dinner in Crown Heights with some friends and I was like, isn't this great? I get to live in this neighborhood. You know, I kind of ran away from this neighborhood a couple of years ago because I couldn't handle living in the thick of this culture. But now I feel really grounded and I feel ready to sort of integrate my lives and I'm going to move back here. And I literally left that Shabbat meal feeling so high, like this is amazing. I have these beautiful communities and all different ones that I can communicate with. And then as I was, le- as I was walking down the street, it's like a fairly main drag in Crown Heights. Um, it's called Kingston Avenue. Um, I feel like people who read Hevria know that. And, uh, but you never know. Um, and as I'm walking, I, I see like a bunch of kids like coming towards me, like young, probably like 17, 18 year old boys. And they're like really drunk. You can see they're kind of like walking in that like sway. Um, and I kind of didn't think anything of it cause I thought they were like maybe kids, from out of town, like out of the country who come in. I was like, whatever, just keep walking. But as I'm walking past, it was really strange. Like, you know how the universe attracts what, you know, like things attract you as they're meant to. Mm. It's just funny that of all people, I was the one that this happened to. Mm. Um, Cause they sort of came, they, they walked past and they started like throwing out these words that were like, um, like if you've, if you've spent time in, in an Orthodox community, these are the words that people like in Mesha'arim yell at you, like Shabbos, like, mm. like if someone's sort of transgressing, they'll yell that at you. But it's not something that happens in Crown Heights, like pretty much ever, mm. uh, not to my knowledge until it happened to me. Um, they're like, I think they were like, kind of thought it was a joke. Like obviously some, one person's that it's like Shabbos and the other one's like sneers, which is like about women's modesty laws, which again, it's just really ironic this happened to me because obviously I was keeping all those laws at the time and I didn't present as not doing that anyway. Um, and they, so I was like, these are little boys. Like I know these kids, like they're probably like in school with my brothers. Spoiler alert. Yes, they were in school with my brothers. Um, and I'm like, I just, and I was also like in major like fight or flight. So I just turn around. I'm like, don't you ever speak to anyone that way. And that just like set them off because they, you know, they thought it would just like pass. And then they started really like getting into it. And I don't, I don't like to repeat what they said because I really try not to dwell in those negative spaces. But they used all kinds of words to criticize the fact that I'm a woman, um, the fact that I was yelling back at them, 
Um, they use certain terms to be like the fact that a woman who is upset is obviously yeah, in her moon cycle. Um, they used all kinds of terms to articulate that I was not a woman of uh, virtue. Um, and it was very unpleasant, as you can imagine. And I did not, like, I didn't stand down. So I kept being like, Please, you cannot use those words. Please don't speak that way. And then they heard my Australian accent. And that's when it shit got real because they... <laughs> one of them was well, a couple of them were Australian and that's uh-huh. when I really had to freak out because I was like oh my god these are like my brother's friends and anyway, oh, it, it kind of spun so it was this really intense moment at one point I was like I'm gonna the police are up there in the corner like I'll go get the police I kept walking and what was the most astounding about it was that no one did anything and no one said anything it was relatively early in the evening it was like maybe 12 30 at night or 1 a.m on a set on a Friday in the in the summer so mm. you're starting your shop as dinner at like nine or ten like people are around the streets people saw it I kept walking and I kept like turning around to look and they just kept on like wavering along and there was like other people standing in the corner no one said anything I like went into this whole like fight or flight response like I went down the street trying to find where they came from and sounds like you had a fight response it was really crazy and, and I forget yeah. a lot of what happened but I know that the next day I started talking to people about it and I was like you know we need to put education into the shiver system and like teach boys how to respect women and I got a lot of like oh boys will be boys and that's what freaked me out more. I think that scared me more. Cause it felt like it was the reaction when you were there and no one was helping. And then afterwards, kind of like the you felt like the communal reaction was what was hard for you. Yeah, just the fact that like we all know this happens. We all know it exists. Like, yes, they're boys and yes, they're drunk. Because, you know, I'm assuming they're like in the yeshiva system. So at 16, 17, you start drinking even earlier usually. And then um, and on a Friday, like five, six o'clock, you start by like your Shabbos pregame, you know, and you're drinking and then you go to a Shalom Zachar and you're drinking and I get it. But that doesn't excuse the behavior. Like that's why we have college rape crises. So everyone being like, oh, you know, they were probably really drunk. Yeah, I know they were really drunk, but don't you think that's an issue? Because that means these boys are going to move along through the yeshiva system this deep-seated, like, misogyny that comes through only when they're really triggered by it because they were freaking out that I was responding to them and then came out all these horrible things. So, and I haven't repeated those words because I don't want to say them anymore and put them into the atmosphere, but you can all use your imagination. So then these guys are going to keep going along thinking that that's okay and then, bam, like, they're married 10 years later and they get drunk and then what are they going to do? Right. It happens. So then you... Uh, I guess a year later you wrote this piece. Yeah. So when it happened, I was like, see, I've always had like a real dilemma about writing about the Orthodox community. Cause I don't want to basically the way it yells is the way, the way it yells, the way it becomes is like the lady doth protest too much. The minute you say this stuff, you discredit yourself immediately because you're showing emotion. And when women show emotion, they are immediately discredited because that's viewed as like a weakness. And you start to get picked on for your own personal, your own religious practice, your own societal views, everything like that. And I was really scared of that for a long time. And that's one of the reasons I didn't write anything publicly for years and years and years. Really? Um, And I had a lot of opinions and I had a lot of insight and I just didn't want to share it because I was like, I'm going to get in trouble now. And then everyone's going to start talking about me and even though I had something really important to say. And I guess what I wasn't noticing was that there's a huge silent majority. And I think you've probably noticed on Hevria who do see it and do respond and do appreciate it. But we're so used to sort of the party lines and the, uh, the formal stuff that's being put out as being like towing this certain voice that we forget that there's so many other voices out there. Um, And I, I I also didn't want to, come off as angry that's also a lot of what comes off is like oh you know she's not religious anymore she's angry um you know he was screwed over by this and this person so now he's coming out with a whole tirade it's a very common narrative I didn't want to be seen in that way and I didn't want to go so I was thinking can I go to like an external agency like you know can I pitch it to the forward or something like that and then I was like well there's no point because then then that's anger then that's just me wanting to smear crown heights and say all this shit happened to me, woe is me. But I wanted to be constructive. And I think your name is, it's really interesting because when you came out with Hevria, I remember that was like the beginning of 2015 or something, or 20, 2015. I think it was 2014, 2015, around that. Yeah. yeah. So I remember like that January coming out with a new ideology for myself, which is create, don't destroy. Oh, wow. And then you guys, Hevria yeah, means like, Bria, creation. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's literally in our like mission statement, or at least our values in terms of 
we want to be constructive, not destructive. So that's amazing. Yeah. And wow. I didn't want to like, there's so much work that can be done in the orthodox community and I'm not going to run around and like paint all these things with issues. All I want to do is if I can point out something that people can work on within themselves, fine. And that's not about working on the systemic issues because the the infrastructure that can crumble, but it's your own self. How can I work on myself? How can I work on my family? How can I work on my community? And after this happened to me, I did a lot of work on myself and I did a lot of work within my community. Um, one of the first things that happened is obviously I spoke to my younger brothers um, who were in that age group there. I mean, now they're like, I don't know, 18 and 20. I have no idea how old they are. I'm sorry. I love you. Um, <laughs> it's a bad family. 19 and 21. They're not, anyway. <laughs> how many siblings do you have? 10, thank God. Oh May they all gosh. be blessed. Yeah. Blessed. So, um, but my younger brother and I are very close and he was in Yeshiva at that time. So I spoke to him straight away and he found out pretty quickly who they were and like, you know, he's like, they're very sorry. They want to apologize to you. So I said, look, I'm not ready to speak to them, but I appreciate that. And that's why I didn't take it any further. Like I could have called up the Rashi Shivers and, and that's why people were telling me, oh, boys will be boys because like, what are you going to do? You're, this is what they said to me. They're like, you're never going to be able to change the system in the Shivers to create an educational program about misogyny, which is what my goal was. Mm. Um, and you're never going to be able, and if you kick them out, they're just going to get lost on the street. So like, is that what you want? And I was like, no, I want to create an educational program. I really do. Um, at the time I was overwhelmed with my own stuff because then things started coming to me and I had to start really examining my own relationship with, um, like my identity as a woman in the Jewish community. And the fact that like the feminine is so hated and it's so vilified and it's so marginalized and it can often be that women ourselves don't identify it in the Hasidic community. You feel Mm -hmm. like that? That's yeah, without even noticing because it's like, you know, they talk about internalized misogyny. So you tend to, if you're in a society where all of the things that, that men get to do are accoladed and lauded, then you want to identify with that and you don't want to identify with the women's stuff, which is like looked at upon a secondary. So I was doing that without even noticing. Can you give me an example? Like what does that mean exactly? Um, oh, it's, I mean, I, it's like my whole life. <laughs> um, but... I, I guess it's just, it's, it's, it's very common, like in the religious feminist community that there's a lot of focus on like, you know, ability to wear tefillin and to wear talus and things like that. Um, and then there's a lot of really amazing, um, things that are, and, and, and I, I don't like to put, I mean, I can talk about this for hours, like masculine and feminine versus men and women, cause we all have balances within ourselves. But if we disown the feminine parts of ourselves, like the part that might be more about empathy and compassion or the part that might be more about teaching and, um, creating rather than like a show of aggression, mm-hmm. I literally just read on my way here. So I'm, I'm searching for stories like this in the corporate world. Just found a story about like the, the most recent CEO of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was saying how his approach is different than the last guy. Cause the last guy was all about like this aggressive, fast talking, um, telling you what was so special about Microsoft. And he would run across the company, the stage in conferences and be like, we're the best company. And the new guy like will sit in the audience and listen. You know, so like that's viewed as less strong and less important, but really that's actually very valuable and it helps you succeed. So that's kind of like the balance of masculine and feminine that I like to talk about is how we value those different traits. And I think in a community like this, there's a lot that gets devalued because you're being told by rabbis like, oh, women are on a higher spiritual level. And um, that's why you don't get to participate in this stuff. But the people telling you that, don't actually believe it. Now I believe it. Um, I've been doing enough research lately in like the Kabbalistic side of this stuff to be like, it's actually true that like baking bread is an extraordinarily spiritual divine task, but men should be doing it too for that reason. Everyone should do it. Cause again, you, we all have different balance of masculine and feminine in us, but there's this certain like internalized devaluing of the feminine, which comes back to like cosmological events that I like to talk about. Um, on my website, which we can talk about at some point. What's um, your website? Oh, man. I keep getting on tangents, don't it, I? No, it's great. Okay, fine. This it's is so much fun, right? <laughs> um, I get to talk about my favorite things. Yes, yeah, so I talk a lot about this this idea of like the masculine and the feminine, how it's viewed. And um, my website is called The Genesis. Mm-hmm. People think it's Gene Sis. Again, pronunciation is such a concern. Because a dash, right? Because there's a dash between Gene and Sis, yeah. Right. Genesis is the translation of my name. So Risha mm. in Hebrew, in Aramaic actually means like, it comes from Rishon and beginning, like Bereshit. Mm-hmm. 
like Hebrea comes from bara, right? So Hebrea. that's Risha means like the beginning of something, the genesis of something. And I liked that the genesis.com was not available. So I put a hyphen between and then I was like, oh, that's cool. It's like gene and cis. So there's a lot of meaning in that. Um, and that's where I write a lot about this like Torah of the feminine. And it's not about women and women's spirituality. It's about learning to value those um, those energies that have always been viewed as feminized, but aren't actually like only in the wheelhouse of women um, that haven't been part of the evolution of structural religion, organized religion for like millennia, but it's time for it to come back. And we're seeing that shift happening. It's just happening not necessarily in the Jewish world, like it, well, it is happening in the Jewish world, but not in maybe in the Orthodox world. So it's happening like in, if you look like new age and like goddess um, religions and all of that stuff, like we're seeing this like return to the feminine um, environmentalism and ecofeminism, like, you know, that view of the earth. So that all comes from a lot of really amazing, deep understandings from Kabbalah. So it's really interesting because you talk, you know, as much as you're kind of, creating this seemingly like seeming separation between you and orthodoxy or at least between you and the Hasidic community that you came from at the same time, <laughs> like I'm saying on a cultural level. I don't right? think there's separation at all. Oh, okay. So that's what I was going to no, say. No, not that, at all. I think if anything, okay. I'm going back to basics and that's, so okay, that's, so right. that's so why that's, with the Genesis, what I call it is post Hasidic right. embodiment. And that's the whole purpose of it is what are the amazing, beautiful ideals that came into the world with Hasidism. So Hasidism is very new, right? It's only 200 years old because it's literally the medicine that arrived right on time for this universe to start going through this crazy shift that we're right in the throes of right now. And part of that was about showing how everything that happens is not an accident, that there's serious divine source energy embedded in everything and that there are ways to tap into that. There are tools, there are methodologies, excuse me, there are methodologies and that's what the Hasidic masters, the different Rebbe's taught. So like ideas like prayer and meditation and song and dance and um, respecting nature and loving your fellow and all of those things, which sounds all very hippie, hoo la la la. But the fact is that if you take the concepts and you actually apply them and really work on integrating them to your life, you will live a better life. You will be more connected you will be happier, all of these things, and the world will start to shift because it's like, you know, we're flipping over puzzle pieces and bit by bit we shift it all. What's happened in, in my experience, and I don't, again, I'm so afraid of being labelled angry, it's ridiculous, but um, I think people who know me know that it's not the case. So um, I have a lot of gratitude for my Hasidic upbringing, like an extraordinary amount of gratitude. I, I try, every once in a while something slips out where I speak negatively and then I'm like, no, I, I don't mean it. Like I really... No, it's so funny because you know? I'm, you know, I don't know if you've read some of my recent pieces, but a lot of, you know, the last one I wrote for Hevriya was called The Useful Balchuva. And it was about... I my, read that. You read that one. So, I mean, that one, and then there was like about leaving Chabad, I don't cultural culturally leaving Chabad and, and all these things. You know, it's really interesting and because I think it's difficult when you have a belief that you strongly believe in that differentiates you from where you're coming from or, you know what I'm saying? Like where it's <laughs> a belief that you have, you know what I'm saying? Where it's a constructed belief as opposed yeah. to like, I'm just angry at what exists. Totally, totally. You know, those are two different yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. And, and it's I hard because I think people, you know, look at, people like like us that, that that write about these things and try to talk about them in a way that's like in contrast to to our experience or whatever and i mean i i got late you know the last piece i wrote i remember someone said oh, what did they say they said um you know a lot so pathetic or something like that and oh, and it's fascinating to me and i think they were like oh he's just whining you know and i think i get why they feel that way i think i mm -hmm. used to feel that way about people but i think um, I try not to do that specifically for that reason. Right. No, I mean, we, you can try as much as you want, but at the same time... People will, believe, really, will perceive it how they want it. Yeah, because that's the thing. I think, yeah. you know, because, yeah, I know you and I know that you're not at all an angry person and like such an inspiring, I was, positive though. person. I was so right. angry and it right. took... No, for sure. A and that's why it took me a year to write that article. Right. Because if I'd written it a year before, yeah, I was angry. I was angry. I was hurt. I was devastated because that's what I had to work through. Like it took me probably... Well, it's, I'm still working through it, but particularly like that first half of 2015 was an intense working through Stockholm syndrome. Huge. Cause I was like, 
I love my Hasidic upbringing. I love the teachings. I love everything about it. I just don't love the, the manifestations of it in community. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to hurt my family's feelings. In fact, the fact we're talking about this now, and I know it's public, has kind of tripped me out. Because <laughs> I don't, I, I talk about this to people when I meet them individually. And I've never had the guts to write about it, but that's why this is easy. You see, you got yeah. me on a podcast because now I'm just telling you everything. Podcasts are awesome. It's all, I love podcasts. Are you kidding? <laughs> I could talk for hours. You know that. <laughs> Thank God. Um, but the thing about all of that was that I wanted to be constructive because honestly, like I'm at a point where God bless orthodoxy. And I say this very frequently. I'm like, God bless orthodox Judaism. I really do. But I'm, I'm over it. Like I don't need to go in and fix it. I did that. I worked in Chabad institutions for many years. Remember when we used to email about Chabad on campus back in the day when you were writing Pop Chassid? Do you even remember that? Not really. I bet you didn't was realize that- it was me. Oh, I think... <laughs> I was, like, managing the Twitter account, and I was always retweeting for what, your stuff. For what? For Chabad on campus? Yeah. That like, was that Like, was seven you. years ago. Did you not know... Wait, this oh is cool. Gosh. We're doing this in public wow. on a podcast. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> you, you were, like, one wow. of our, like, heroes out there in Chabad on campus head office, but that's yeah. not because you were a useful Balchuva, because you were, like, writing really cool content mm-hmm. that was relevant to our audience, and we were trying to do that. We were trying to convince our you know, powers that be that we needed that. And, and we, you could say the stuff that we couldn't say, you know? So that was awesome. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to put this stuff out there without being constructive. And I didn't want to go back and try to fix things in a space that I'm kind of like, you know, bless them in the space that they're in. And I will fix my, not fix, but, you know, work on myself and work on my own communities. And I still have that I still have that outlook. And, you know, every once in a while I step back into it. And I think from what you were saying before about like how it's much scarier and much more confronting when I come in with my ideas than someone, cause I was, I'm, I'm kind of myself, I was disengaged for a long time. Like, you know, most of my twenties, I consider myself to be very like religious. Like, you know, I had to only wear skirts and I was like always running for the 18 minutes of Shabbos, but I didn't really care. Cause if I, cause if I cared, it was too heartbreaking. Because I knew that the minute I would like try to invest more in Jewish life and I would see how much I was being cut out of it, it would make me really upset, which it did. Like I had my six months of working for a Jewish organization back in Australia. I had my year of working in California in a school. I had my two years at Chabad. So all of those experiences, I'd go back in, be like, cool, I'm going to help out with this stuff. And then I would cry every day um, because something that I really loved and believed in didn't allow me to do what I was capable of doing. Cried every day about this? I, or I would like, I was very angry. I would like have a lot of arguments, like big passionate arguments with people. With, uh-huh. Then I get called chutzpahdik because I'm a woman with ideas. So I get called <laughs> chutzpahdik, you know? So like that was really painful. And then, so I was, so then I was disengaged. You know, I spent years, like I was working right here actually on Madison Avenue around the corner from here. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my life. And I didn't come in with big ideas about Judaism because I just kept them to myself. Like, you know, I was involved in like some different so religious you, feminist stuff. Like during this time you were cons- you had a cultural identity of, of being Hasidic or like, were you starting to let go of that? How did that work exactly? I think I called myself like modern Orthodox Chabad or something. Cause I, I right. had Shidduch Rezabes in those days. Um, but I was very, <laughs> I was very compartmentalized. That's what it was. It was, I was extremely compartmentalized. This right. is like deep group therapy and the whole world's going to hear it. But it's cool. It's cool. A lot, this is what you do. I know. <laughs> I forgot. This is your superpower. Um, it's good. It's helping me get it straight. I was very compartmentalized. So like I would yeah. hang up my coworkers and like my life was, you know, internet memes and Snapchat before it was cool. Um, <laughs> and, you know, optimizing websites and music, a lot of music. And then I had my other life where like I would like do Shabbos, but I hated it because I was like, I would only like be, I'd either be with family or I'd be like by myself at home. So it was like very, I didn't, so I didn't live like two lives. Kind totally. Of. And I didn't make Judaism my own. I didn't say, well, how can I take a Judaism that is living and breathing and alive to me? I did the things I love. Like I love to pray. So like on Yom Kippur, I'd go to a shul and I'd like get really into it. But I didn't, you know, I, I, to me, like Judaism, the authentic version was this classic version. So I couldn't imagine going to like a, a, an egalitarian shul or something outside of that box that would allow me to fully experience and express it. And it took a long time. Like it's a lot of work for me because like I said, it was Stockholm syndrome. Cause it was like, you know, well, well, I, I, I have a lot of rabbis that I love and trust and, and dearly respect. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and like blanket label that everyone's wrong. I still don't. Hmm. So when you say Stockholm syndrome, like, does that mean that you really feel feel like there's a certain element of being imprisoned? 
somewhat, you know, I'm reading an amazing book. I'm going to tell everybody about this book. It's called Women Who Run With The Wolves. And there's like a woman sitting at home and she like doesn't engage and she's like one of those lurkers and like wants to like get into this stuff. It's going to blow them all away. Um, it's very, very popular in like this kind of like more spiritual new age community. But it's a, it's, it's about, it's got a lot of old folk stories of women. So like a lot of stories about people who, you know, it's like the classic story is like her spirit is quashed and it's held down and then th- things get crazy because, you know, suddenly she's like, she just one day she loses her shit and just wants to go dancing out because she's been like a good girl all this time. And there's all these different stories. And by the way, it made me think about the fact there's no Hasidic stories featuring women. That's a whole different thing I've got to do some research about now because I'm really curious. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm reading this book and I start to understand how like we everyone goes through that in society, not just in Judaism, not just in orthodoxy. Most women experience this in society and probably men too. I don't, and again, it all comes down to this like. Experience what exactly? Uh, this, this suppression of our true selves. Okay. Like we all experience that with our creative soul self. Mm. Um, it's definitely not just a feminine thing, but I think it's, it's, it's our feminine spirit that's being quashed a lot. Like that creative wild spirit. And we're told by society, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. And we start to enjoy the cage because it's easier in the cage. Mm. And it's, I I remember like one of the really profound. um, So the cage means that you're not like being your true creative self in a sense. Yeah. It just means not, it means not expressing your voice and not letting that being heard Um, and doing the hard stuff because the hard stuff is the good stuff. Mm. And I remember like a really strong idea that came to me right when I was like, trying to figure out all of this and sifting a lot of things and turning my whole life upside down in the space of six months um, was lying down is always easier, but sitting up is always better. Mm. And, you know, it might be easier to just lie down and let everything wash over you um, because it's easier. But when you sit up, yeah, you're paying more attention and it's harder for you, but you've, but you're, at least you're engaged. Mm-hmm. And so many of us just disengage because it's too heartbreaking and painful. And then you have to take responsibility. Wow. So, okay. So how do you, like, and we kind of touched, or you touched on this quite a bit, like the experience of trying to turn that into something to constructive, you know? Um, I guess I wonder how you personally kind of came to that place where you're able to feel it. Because I, I just think it's it's very hard when we're leaving something that we consider to be painful. And, you know, you're literally describing it as Stockholm Syndrome, right? Like, so how do you come to a place then where you can relate? Let's say... You, in the context of when you are relating to the Orthodox community, the world that you came from, these sorts of things, like how do you stay constructive and positive or can you? It's not easy. Like I'm not saying it happens every time. Like right. I go to shuls with mechitzas and I have like full on breakdowns and I end up crying in my prayer for an hour. Like that yeah. happens. Wow. Um, and then I was like, maybe there's a reason because like it's, it ends up being a really good prayer because I'm like, I can't <laughs> feel anything. I can't feel anything. So then I just go, you know, um, well, because the heartbreak comes up, you know, so it's it's not easy and it's still hard. Like in a way, sometimes it's easy to just not be around it. You've got to know your limits too. Like mm-hmm. um, I think in the beginning I was so passionate. I was like, I'm going to change all this stuff and and like come home and tell my parents and my siblings like this is how to like – you know, I know that everyone just says brachas, but like, here's how to really bless your food. Mm-hmm. And it gets annoying. Like no one wants to be told what to do. Um, and then I read this amazing thing from Daddy Janki. She's like an amazing Hindu Robertson. Um, she's still alive in a body out in India. Um, and she said, a, a river doesn't need to convince anyone to drink from it. It's wet and cool and refreshing and flowing. So obviously you want to drink from it. And when it comes to teaching others about spirituality and growth, like, just be the river. And I went, oh, that's cool. <laughs> wow. So I, I, that's kind of what I try to do now. But, it, I mean, I'm a human, so sometimes, you know, I go into a Shabbos meal and I don't often, but I'm like, oh, God, like why am I surrounded by this energy? And then I'm like, I can't handle it. Um, but then sometimes I go and it's amazing. Um, you know, I was I was at this amazing Purim sitter in Crown Heights two weeks ago and it was epic. We like – was singing all night and they let me sing. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, and, and then sometimes I expect the worst and like, it's not that bad. Wow. Do you think it, you'll ever get to a place where, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but you're where you'll be able to not have that pain when you 
visit and I think I'm there now. I think like oh, I, yeah? I, okay. yeah, I think like so that I was really, more in the past. Like, well, it's just it's 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 if it's one day at a time. So like sometimes yeah. I go and everything's amazing. Um, and sometimes I go and I'm like, oh, I've reached my threshold. Like I'm done now. Wow. And sometimes I'm like, I'm trying to push myself. The thing is that, see, I love the stuff. Like, okay, so so I went to this. They Wait, ju- so what's this stuff? What's that? The, the Hasidus, the okay. teachings, the, the songs. But like if I'm going to a Shabbos meal and the women aren't allowed to sing, so I stop, si- so I'm not allowed to sing, but I still want to be in that moment of the singing because it's like really sacred. But people next to me. So women often check out mentally. They do the same thing I did, right? You check out mentally because you can't be part of it. So they're checked out. So they're like chit-chatting about, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I don't want to be chit-chatting about that. I was never into that, by the way. Like even, like that's what I'm saying. Like years ago, I always shunned that like thing, that feminine thing. Like I didn't want to talk about where you bought your linens or the recipe. I wanted to talk about like, you know, the news and sports. I was really into sports for a while anyway. So that still happens where people are like chit-chatting around me and I'm like, hey, like we're singing a nigga now. Maybe I'm not allowed to sing, but I'm going to like still be in the moment. And then that frustrates me. Or I went to this, um, oh my God, I don't know if I should say this on the radio. Um, I went, to <laughs> I went, <laughs> I'm just daring you to do it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you now because I started. <laughs> so I went to the um, – they do an annual event for the descendants of the Alter Rebbe, like the f- founder of Chabad, right? And it's like – it's in so Crown Heights. So you're a descendant of the Alter Yeah. Uh-huh. So, they, so it's in Crown Heights. And like I, I used to not be into it, but like I said, like now I'm really into that because I connect mm. with the Alter Rebbe a lot. I learn his stuff almost every day. And um, I am I felt like I would like to commemorate and celebrate this moment. And I think there's like really strong energy present. And I would love to create an event like that, but more mainstream because not all of his descendants are Orthodox Jews. Happens to be that because it's run by Hasidim, all these Hasidic guys come in from Borough Park and Williamsburg and everyone's just talking about stuff in Yiddish and it's really unpleasant, um, unfortunately, because it really shouldn't be. But there's a little moment where they sing, they play New and it's really beautiful. And my cousins sing and I love that. And I was like, let's dance. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> not because there was a mechitza, but it was just like, right. what? Like, you know, we're going to sit here and like eat our bagels and talk. But, um, I, they were giving out in the, in the front like these excerpts of the Shulchan Aruch actually to 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 like split up and read and and learn for the upcoming year and I was like oh cool like I'll do one of these that's awesome like the, right in front of me was the one about blessing like blessings for fruits and I was like oh I love blessing fruit you know I make like really long gratitude prayers every time I eat this is awesome and I I thought it was just to take and the guy's like no 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 we need to write you down and like who you are but first he stopped me for like a minute he's like are you part of this? I'm like, yeah, I'm part of this. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, you know what this is here for? I'm like, I know what it's here for. Like, I know what this is. Because <laughs> you, you like, know? didn't look the part or something? I don't know. I was wearing a long dress, but God knows. I'm just <laughs> saying like people don't expect it and they freak out. And then like, I don't, like it's funny because the microaggressions that happen in these communities, I can't believe I'm talking about all this in public, is, is it's sometimes it's even pleasant, but it's still annoying. Because you don't want it to be called out at all. Like, ah, oh, like, you know, you make a devoutor at a table and people are like, ah, oh, ah, oh, interesting. And I'm like, you know, is that a question based on my gender? It is, you know, like people, they get surprised um, and they, even if they're saying something pleasant, like, oh, you know, and I just don't like that because mm. I don't know. It's just another trigger, man. There's still so many of them. Right. I can't believe we're talking about all of this. <laughs> okay. So, you know, Trust Elad. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think um, one of the things, you know, that I try to do and I I know that a lot of the people that are part of Ivria care about is kind of creating a bridge between uh, the people that really value those things. Like, for example, you know, we have like Haya Kurtz, who's on our site uh, and very much values these things, Svi as well. And and then we have, you know, people like you that write for us as well. And we have like all these different perspectives. But I've found that um, as we can really try to do that. But I remember like, for example, with your, when your piece came out, we had a lot of blowback, you know, and I think it's hard. How do we create like a situation where you could literally have these, you know, someone who's very traditional, very, uh, straight, I guess, like Chabad that could sit down and have a chat with you where you feel respected and all these things. I don't know if it's possible, but I'm saying, of course it's possible. I chat with people from Chabad all the time and I feel respected. I think what surprised me the most about the piece is, yeah, I got like, I got like two or three negative comments. I think it's funny. It became a big deal because I got 
couple of negative comments and then I got a huge support, like, mm. like army jumping in, um, defending it. And it's funny by the way, cause I don't know if I told you, but the night before you were about to publish it, I chickened out and I mm. said, no, 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 I want to edit it. I, I didn't think it was being pleasant enough. I thought it was maybe still too angry and I wanted to be more constructive. So I revised it and edited it. And then a week later, when you guys emailed me, I had just flown to Colorado and like my phone died. I was like in this whole like crazy universe situation and my phone was dead. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I didn't have anything. And it took me until like almost 24 hours. So I missed the email saying we're about to put this out and I missed the morning. And I was like on West Coast time and it was like 1 p.m. when I finally looked at it. And I got a message from either you or Matthew being like, how are you? And I was like, I'm fine. Like I didn't even realize what was going on. <laughs> um, or then like I read it and, and I think I got this amazing wave of support uh-huh. from people being like, hey, you don't know Risha. Rishi. I was about to say Rishi. That's how I used to pronounce my name. It's so strange. You don't know Risha. You don't know her experience. Like, how can you say that about her? And I was laughing because the, the response I got was so what I expected, which was, don't tire everyone with the same brush. There's this fear in orthodoxy because you're defending something, which is so deep and been going on for so long. And I know this because I was like this for a really long time and I still get twinges of it. Like even when you write stuff like that, like about, you know, how Chabad treats you, I'm like, oh, that's not really always like that. Everyone wants to do that. They want to be like, it's not really always like that because it's not because like we're human <laughs> and there's a thousand, that's a terrible there's a, an infinite number of possibilities and perspectives and interactions. And yes, there are incidences where there are boys in the community who don't understand the value of the feminine and will use that as a tool to harass somebody. But there are also incidences of people who are very respectful and where that segregation actually treats them, teaches them awe and admiration. So there's a huge spectrum. I am articulating about one part of the spectrum because I believe it's something that can be healed. But what happens is because Orthodox Judaism has been a state of defensiveness for so many years, because it had to be, because we came out of the war and we were like, oh my God, our entire worldview has been decimated and all of our people have died. We have to build, build, build really fast, really hard. And they did that. But it's, it's a PTSD where everyone's still in this fight mode of they're trying to threaten us in our way of being. So just so you know, not all Hasidim, and, and people do it with, you know, not all men. <laughs> you know, it's the same, not uh-huh. all white people. But that's usually what comes up is like the minute you criticize, it's like, well, you know, I have a neighbor and they never do that or my family never does that. We know. And that's what I always come to in comment sections because I try to be compassionate. I'm like, I know that you have that experience and that's wonderful. I know it's not everybody. I'm just telling you about my experience because sometimes there are really dark and nasty things to look at in the closet. And if we look at them, we can take care of them. That's so interesting because I, um, I remember, you know, I think I remember. So when we launched uh, Nishamas, you know about Nishamas, right? Dude, I got stuck down in Nishamas rabbit hole the other day. <laughs> yeah, Careful. it's one of those. I know. <laughs> it's intense, but was... uh, it's astounding. I think it's like really, really groundbreaking. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, and kudos so, to you. Thank you. So yeah, so so people, just so you know, Nishamas is a site that's like kind of a side project of Hevria, which is anonymous pieces, because we got all these anonymous submissions. We couldn't publish them all, but we saw they were really important, people really dying to express themselves. So we started this site that was just anonymous pieces from people in the Jewish community. Anyway, so... Can I say it's a little bit exo-Jane? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. In a I good mean, way, because I think they shut down. Right. Um, so wait, so, what, so we were talking about... Um, oh, the the not all Hasidim thing. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting because someone mentioned to me when the site launched that, you know, why do you need to have this? Like there's, if if these people want to write this stuff, because we we had a piece where a woman spoke about not going to the mikvah and and actually being proud of it. And that got a lot of negative response. I remember the Facebook comment thread too. Right. So And I think I jumped in on that one. Right. I I think I remember that. (laughs) So someone mentioned there, um, you know, look, you don't have to do this here. Do it. Why do you have to be the person doing it? Like, why don't you just let them publish on the forward like they always do? And it was really funny because, you know, when you said the thing about how you were thinking about publishing your piece on the forward, that really made me think about that because what I said in that response was, well, then it becomes an 
outsider, like this, it almost it's validates, right? It validates totally. the situation of like, yes, I'm an outsider trying to take you down. Yeah. Whereas what if we created a forum where we're like, we're, we're part of it and we care about it. Exactly. And, and that's, so it's interesting you bring this up. The animals in the zoo thing has been kind of difficult for me lately. So you and I spent um, a weekend zoo? at Limwood a couple of weeks ago. Right. And Limwood was amazing. I just want to put a shout out because I think that was awesome. And I know you just went to the one in Canada. Yeah, it was um, awesome. Both were awesome. So it's really astounding me how much like the institutional Jewish world that I was kind of afraid of is so ready for like cool, creative, out of the box stuff. And can I tell everyone what my workshops were about? Because I think they're really cool. Of course. I did... Um, I did a niggin workshop. Okay, so this is where post-classic embodiment comes in is that I do the stuff that I was raised with and I like, I'm trying to bring it to people. So I did one about niggin. Like it's, it's actually a meditation chant workshop, but we literally break down a niggin and we make it into like a whole process. Um, I did one about the Shekhinah and the Divine Feminine, which is kind of some of the stuff I was talking to you guys about, but I've done a lot of research into Hasidic texts and Kabbalistic texts about that. Um, and then the other one was about the Torah of Marijuana and spiritual, sacramental, and health use of cannabis. And then I did a dance journey. So I, one of my ways of praying is through dance. So I did like a, a whole like dance adventure. And people were very open and I was amazed. Um, but what was interesting about it, so I went with these different platforms. I'm very engaged in conscious dance. I'm very into um, the medicine of marijuana and um, the Shekhinah. That I, like these are all my areas that I You're also do. a model for my wife's uh, painting thing, right? Oh my God, that, yeah, that was a game changer. <laughs> that, was, that was like a going out of your comfort zone, Naharai moment. You know? <laughs> She's also into that. That's it was right. amazing though. It was, that was really amazing. And we had someone come and ask us to do a roadshow of workshops and we wow. had to talk about that. Yeah. Beautiful. Should come out to our temple. But what was interesting to me is, so there was a big contingent there of people that came out from Footsteps. Um, which oh, is really, right. yeah, yeah. I had a group that went together. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, and, and Abby Stein was there, God bless her. And like my friend Sivia and a couple other people from this like X, like what's it called? OTD. They use that. Oh, I hate that word. Um, <laughs> the, the, and, and, and what I found is like when people stop you and they do this to me after I finish a workshop and they did it to me this last weekend, I was doing Nigan workshops again. And they're like, there's a fascination and they want you to complain about it. Like they're like, so what was it like for you? And the only reason I'm answering these questions for you without getting like, sometimes I get really high anxiety around these questions <sighs> is because like, I know you kind of get it, but people, and just the people who are listening know, like, I'm not going to come and talk to you about this if you meet me on the street. <laughs> Cause you know, there's, there, no, there are limits to the That's conversation good. and yeah. people is like a morbid, is a morbid fascination with it. It's like watching a drive by and there's some amazing advocates in the community who, um, who are really about like, I want to educate you so that we can move the community forward. And then there are people who just, I want to shit talk about my experience because it sucked. And there's a difference. I think there's some people who've stepped out and been like, okay, we need to advocate for education in the ultra Orthodox community because, you know, I was uneducated and couldn't support my family. And then there's people who are just like, you know, my life sucked and I want to sell that story. So I'm very conscious of that because if you're taking it outside and you're doing that, your story gets painted in really broad strokes. Yeah. And these stories do not live in broad strokes. They're filled with so much nuance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. And I think the interesting thing is that the people within that world or, or who have at least had experience with it will get that nuance, will be able to understand it. So ironically, they're actually the best audience for it. And um, they can do something about it. So right. what where I left my piece with was like okay, fine, we can't create an educational program in Shivers. Like, please God, we will. And by the way, I feel like that conversation's brewing now. It's been two years. Um, but what about in your own household? So if you have a son approaching his teens, have when you have a conversation with him, whether it's about the birds and the bees or about like being conscious of how people touch you when you go to camp because every mom has this conversation with a kid, let them see how they can revere the feminine and not be afraid of it. Because I came out with the idea that all of these sneers concepts that we're taught about modesty and covering up makes it that you become afraid of it. Like, oh, if I see an elbow, I'm going to get turned on. So then you have to um, like, uh, like put the elbow up on a pedestal as being evil because you, you can't be expected to help yourself. You're just a human. And this elbow is like out to get you, but that's not the case. Like it takes you to tango. We're humans. Like we all have abilities to control ourselves and we all have like an, a spectrum of ways that we interact with one another and we can respect and honor the feminine instead of being afraid of it. And because of the deep segregation that goes on in the community, very often 
people become either afraid of it or they like completely reject it or they start to disrespect it without realizing why, because they're like, it becomes a joke. Like, you know, the women do this, the women do that, clean, you know, and it just spirals. So my whole takeaway was if you have a son in his teens, talk to him. If you have a two-year-old, like create that culture in your home. If you have a husband, like discuss it, be like, Hey, when you go out with the boys, do you guys like make all these kind of jokes? Because that's not cool. And I know it sounds like people hate when you're like, Oh my, you too ultra PC and la la la. But it's, it's those little places where it starts. And you know, why is college rape such a concern? It's because that culture has been bred through football teams and through high school kind of clubs and that whole ideology that that's what the woman's there for. So start fixing that here on your, cause you can't change everyone around you. You can only change yourself and bless everybody else. And that's kind of what I try to focus on with everything. Mm. And, you know, like I always say, God bless Orthodox studios and whatever needs to happen to it will happen. But if everyone can transform their own homes and their own relationships, we're going to see a lot better, brighter world. That's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, right? So simple. And do you feel like you've found people receptive to that message? It's so surprising to me how many people come out the woodwork because, you know, we get so used to like seeing the comment sections on the internet and thinking that's everyone. That's not everyone. That's people who are pissed off enough to want to write about it (laughs) and, you know, who like have enough time on their hands. Most people are regular people like me and you and they see stuff and they go, oh, that's cool. So I get comments like from people when I meet them on the street who are like, oh, I really appreciate what you wrote about that. Or, you know, I saw that you comment, I saw that you jumped into like, sometimes I I jump into these like controversial arguments on Facebook. I'm like, oh, I have so much work to do, but I'm going to get into this argument. And people... They don't do anything, but maybe they'll like like your comment or they'll come and tell me about it when they see me. And they agree. And if I, you have individual conversations. So most of this, like one of the first places where I started being active and opening my voice, because I was shit sketched over any of this stuff two years ago. I really was. I really didn't. I was like, it's not fair on my family. It's not, it's not good for like my employment prospects. Like it's just not something I wasn't worried about shit at that point. I was a bit done with that. Thank God. But everything else I was like, Oh, you know, and, um, I started getting involved with the, with the conversation around agunas and divorce in the Jewish community, um, which is an area close to my heart. And it was just something that is just so abysmally, uh, unjust. Um, and I had to do something about it and I wasn't into that. Um, I didn't think I was into that. I was like, I'm not an activist, you know? And I, and I, you know, I stepped up, I went to the rally in Grand Heights. Um, and that was literally one of those days that my whole life changed. You know, sometimes you have those moments and you're like, I didn't know then that what I was doing was so important. And I started speaking up more and like, hmm. you know, right. I said, I remember I started writing some things on Facebook and I'd see people in shul. That was then. the one that Ida led. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. oh, you were there. I was there. I remember yeah. seeing you there. Um, maybe we weren't friends yet. Um, <laughs> well, apparently we knew each other. <laughs> I know, right? God. Um, so the, the, at the same time as that was happening, I remember like babysitting at a friend's sister's house. She's like, you know, really sweet, really Hasidic woman. Um, I grew up with her and, you know, like maybe five years younger than me. And, um, and I'm talking to her on the way out and I was just like, you know, this is how get works. This is why it's ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. And she was sold. And I realized that like, people try to back up rabbinic Judaism without knowing enough about it. And the minute you educate them a little bit, they're like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. And that's how we're going to change things. You know, like you can make big statements at the top because you have to, that's how you push movements forward. I mean, that's how the feminist movement worked. That's how civil rights worked. You have the people on the front lines, like doing the marches, doing the big call, but then you have the people at home having conversations. Right now there's a lot of conversation going on in this country around that. Um, there was the women's march and people were like, uh, you know, wearing a pink hat doesn't make a difference. But then that spot, that, that, um, instigates conversation on the grassroots level, people in their own homes and people with their partners and people with their children. And that's where the change happens. And it takes a long time, which is really annoying for people like me and you. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Because we want Mashiach now, I guess. Well, that's because Mashiach's here already. Oh, I'm such a Chabadnik. Well, it's because, can I talk about this? I'm going to talk about this. Fine. Yes, ha- we got like five more minutes. Okay, fine. I have a microphone. I'm going to say it. <laughs> the whole messianic ideal is about a transformation of society through a paradigm shift, mm-hmm. through a different view of the world and humanity and divinity and seeing the divine element in everything. So originally Mashiach was all about like 
all these different mitzvahs and all these different things. But once that infrastructure was built, it became acts of goodness and kindness. And people, I know, I know what the response is. People are like, but then that's just humanitarian Judaism. And that's not, no, like do a mitzvah. Like, yeah, do mitzvahs. It's cool. Do as many mitzvahs as you can. I do a lot of mitzvahs all day. Trust me. My favorite thing. <laughs> mitzvahs are beautiful. You know, Uncle Moshe songs about mitzvahs. <laughs> best, right? But here's the thing. End of the day, if you look at some... <laughs> Continue. Go ahead, sorry. sorry I've, no, I'm like, I've got this speech prepared, but I say it often. Um, if you can oh, look at... Just like s- that Uncle Moshe tangent. That was good. Oh, <laughs> just God, a yeah. End time. <laughs> Try to keep up. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, sorry. I moved really quickly. Oh, no. I interrupted your, your speech. No, no. Good. Here's the thing. Mashiach, as a concept, is about looking at the universe and realizing that everything is essentially divine and that you can transform anything and you can construct your own, your own reality. And different people right now, we're living in a very deep time where people are waking up, you know, woke AF as the meme calls it. Like people are (laughs) like, wait, are you telling me that we really should pay attention to the environment because that's important? Damn. Are you saying that women that I thought weren't important all my life are actually like really integral members of society? Wow. I didn't realize that that all this institutionalized racism was happening in this country. That waking up is part of transforming the world into this messianic consciousness. Mashiach's not like an imaginary clap of thunder from the sky that's just going to change everything overnight. It's working within the process of daily life and day-to-day systems and everything to create that. And we have the infrastructure for that. We don't have the infrastructure. I'm saying we have the tools to create that through natural means. The way we do that is by these acts of goodness and kindness. It's by looking at everything and saying, well, how can I be better today? How can I help somebody? How can I go outside of my box? And then it works on a thousand levels. It works on a purely, like on an energetic level, cosmologically. And Chassid, as it explains, like that everything, you're like lighting up different lights on a circuit board. And then bam, once you have a certain amount, you reach critical mass and then they all light up. Um, You're flipping energy. And then the other piece of it is that like genuinely that happens. So it's funny because I always imagine this happening right here on the corner outside that like if you smile at a homeless person um, or you like, you know, tip your waitress or you do any of these small things, that spirals into a thousand things because then they go home and then they don't yell at their kid and then the kid does the homework and then he actually goes to college instead of going to prison and then bam, mm. we've interrupted the prison industrial complex. Like mm. everything, every single thing can be affected in small, tiny ways. So all you got to do is keep yourself nice, take care of yourself take care of your home, your family, your people, your workplace, focus on what's in front of you and do those things bit by bit. And then the whole world can transform, but don't worry about everyone else. They'll do their bit too, but you do your bit, you know? Risha, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. So fun. I was just getting started. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to do it again. Oh, anytime. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Um, it's been such an honor. And I love Hevria. Thank you. And I get stuck down rabbit holes on Hevria <laughs> and the Shamas very frequently. So it's been an honor and a pleasure. And can I give a plug? Of course. Okay. So I do a lot of things and I'm not going to talk about all those things. But one of the things that I do is my baby project. It's a website. It's called The Genesis. I told you about it before. Um, I'm hoping that we can do cool stuff like podcasts and all kinds of things in future. Right now I started doing videos. Um, but, and we have a lot of writing on there, so you can jump on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Jenna sisters, G E T H E G E N E S I S T E R S or the with a hyphen. And then you can subscribe to emails and do all kinds of stuff. And then I'll let you know what's happening like workshops. So we do workshops at things like festivals about niggin wow. and dance and post Hasidic embodiment. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Elad. Thank you. See you soon. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hivriya Cast. I'm Alad Neharai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivriya.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City. And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Call, call out the call.